Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. Good morning and happy Father's Day uh, to all the fathers in the house. I was uh, listening to uh, Reverend Terry as he opened this morning, and I've got an area of agreement with him. The sixth son is the best son. Yes, I think I could say that. Uh, there's something special about number six. But you know, I, I got an area of disagreement with him too. The last son is the last son, the best son. See, I always talk to Terry's brother, Reverend Barry, Reverend Barry, who's off to Mexico and we're praying for him. But I'll say to Barry, hey, who's the best son? Second from the last, right? Yeah, second from the last. Yeah, because my mom had seven sons, right? And Barry's, Barry's second from the last too. So I share a little bit with Barry. I share a little bit with Terry. Uh, and I was second from the bottom, but not of seven, but of nine, because my mom had two, uh, two sisters. Really, I don't know how my mother and my father put it up with it. It's, that was... Uh, well, I guess it was an era gone by where it was just the way it was. There was a lot of big families, and uh, it, was, it was fun. It was really a good time growing up in a big family. Uh, I think about my own dad, too, on Father's Day, and like Terry's, he's been gone for many years, uh, but he did a great job with uh, the children that God gave him. I have a, a little bit of a quote I wanted to share with you before we begin this morning. I found this in a in a book that was written in 1915. So it's 100 years old, and it was a fellow named Albert Smith. He was giving an address in a little town in Iowa, uh, Lamoni, Iowa, or Lamoni, however they uh, say it. That's a, I think that's a a Mormon name, actually. There was a a sect of the Mormons that lived in that town. It's uh, Graceland University was there, but really not a big town. I mean, even now there's only 2,400 people in the town. But he was there and he gave a Father's Day address in 1915. And I got this quote. This is how he opened his address. He said, fathers, this is our day. Mother has bouquets thrown at her for 364 days in the year but this is the day when we get what is coming to us. And I I read that and I said, really? Mother had bouquets thrown at her for 364 days a year? What? A hundred years ago, maybe, but I tend to doubt it. I I think this guy, uh, I can't believe, he must have been preaching to just a a whole group of men. That's all I could figure because the women probably would have jumped up and drummed him right out of there. My mother would definitely disagree. We weren't throwing bouquets at her 364 days in a year. I don't know, maybe some things have changed in 100 years, but I just thought that was comical. Moms, you do a great job too. So don't let anybody tell you they're throwing bouquets at you 364 days a year. You're probably, if you're getting a a few throughout the year, you're saying, thank you, Lord. I want to uh, talk to you today, though, a little bit about fathers, but really talk to everybody, everyone in the the house, Uh, because principles for life, principles that can apply to a father, they can apply to every single one of us. And that's where I want to go today with a passage of scripture uh, 
from Jesus. It was a parable that Jesus spoke, and it's about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And here it is, Father's Day. You might think of these two men as two fathers. I don't know if they were. We don't get those details. And of course, it's a parable. It's not even really a historical account, but it's, it's a story that Jesus put together to make a point, to teach some things. This is from Luke chapter 18. So if you have your tablet, your telephone, uh, if you're, hey, if you're coming at us online or live streaming, you could probably open up another window in your browser, get to Luke chapter 18. If you have your paper Bible, open up to the gospel of Luke. I'm going to be reading verses 9 through 14. Jesus' words. He says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. I'm sorry, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. So here he prays this very self-righteous prayer. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up. But he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then Jesus concludes the parable. I tell you that this man rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, why did Jesus speak this parable? He actually gave us the explanation right at the beginning, right in the introduction. He said it was for those who were self-righteous, those who are confident in their own righteousness, and those who looked down on everyone else. Jesus used the parable to give some perspective. He wanted to show a contrast. He showed a contrast between pretentious, pretend devotion and humility that's authentic and real and genuine and sincere. We live in a time where there are so many people that look down on others. They look down on everyone else. There's the, the whole cadre of self-righteous celebrities, uh, the, the Hollywood elite that love to tell us all what to do. There uh, is a bully culture where one person or a whole group of people will disparage and they'll belittle another person. These are extremes, of course. But all of us, from time to time, we've probably been guilty of being a little bit too self-absorbed. We've probably been guilty of looking down at somebody, feeling we're a little bit better than them, knowing we're a little better than them. And it's something that I believe we all have to deal with from time to time. This pride, it can be a snare. And I want to talk about this a bit. Let's look into this, this parable and dissect it a little bit. 
the Pharisees first. They were a, a group of what was a religious sect, a religious group. They studied God's word. They memorized God's word. They knew it front and back, inside and out. They were uh, focused on fulfilling God's law. But below the surface, they were obnoxious hypocrites. Jesus pointed out their hypocrisy time and time again. For a pretense, they made long, uh, long-winded prayers. Uh, they, uh, they cheated widows out of their money and out of their property. They paid their tithes of mint and cumin, uh, but they neglected justice and mercy and faith and love. They were a wicked to the core. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and they despised others. They looked down on others. They were a culture unto themselves because uh, who would want to associate with these people who would look down on them? They actually were exclusionary. You can see that this Pharisee went into the temple and it says he stood all alone. Why would he want to associate with others that were beneath him? And then there's the tax collector. The tax collector was a hated person and a hated group too. They had their own little culture as well. They worked for the occupying government. They worked for Rome. They took the tax for the occupying nation. They had uh, the authority to levy exorbitant tax rates. They often overassessed. They took more than they were supposed to take, more than what was rightfully owed. They were unjust. They were considered sinners. The word sinner was synonymous with tax collectors. They weren't even welcome in the temple. Jesus had many interactions with Pharisees, and he had quite a few interactions with the tax collectors. And in this parable, Jesus shines a light on the difference between the two. These are two groups that really the common person didn't really want to associate with. But Jesus paints a difference. He paints a contrast. The Pharisee, as I said, he went into the temple. He kept to himself. He couldn't be bothered with other people, couldn't be bothered with the people who didn't know the word of God as well as he did. He was full of himself. He is sure of his superior holiness. He pretends to be grateful before God. Thank you, God. Thank you that I am not like these other people, these robbers and evildoers. Thank you that I'm not like these sinners. Thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. And then he brags to God. Oh, God, I tithe. I tithe, God. And I fast, God. His prayer was all self-absorbed. It was all hypocrisy. He certainly was a studied person, the Pharisees were, but he was studied to cover his inner wickedness as he wore this mask of outer righteousness. You know, he was anchored by just mere ceremonies and ritual, but he had no connection to true holiness. Oh, yeah, of course, he was zealous in fasting, and he was zealous in paying his tithe, but he's a stranger to meekness. He's a stranger to humility. He's a stranger to mercy and justice. And he vilifies this tax collector. He specifically points him out. Oh, Lord, thanks. I'm not like him. As for the tax collector, 
He, he won't even make his way into the temple. But Jesus says he stands at a distance. Not because he feels he is above the people and he can't associate with them. No. Something's occurred in the life of the tax collector. Why would he even be coming to the temple? He feels shamed. He feels his unworthiness. Somehow he has come to the realization that he has been unjust to his fellow countrymen. And now he's going before God Almighty because he needs mercy. He can't even bring himself to come into the presence of God. He keeps his head down. He makes no comparison to other people. He doesn't brag about how good he is. He doesn't tell God uh, all the things that should keep him from being punished. No, he has a sincere and a contrite heart. And he beats his chest and he looks down at the ground and he cries out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, Jesus paints a picture for us. He paints the clearest picture that depicts a divergence between the proud and the humble. Two men, two men, one of them is proud and the other is humble. The proud man thinks what? He thinks, how much better am I? How much wiser am I? How much greater am I than all these other people around me? And he comes to the temple and he sanctimoniously looks up at God. But what characterizes the proud man is not that he insincerely looks up and casts his prayer toward God. No, what characterizes the proud man is how he looks down. And this is what Jesus said when he started this parable. It's to those of you who look down. The proud man looks down. He looks down on those around him. And he deems that they are beneath him. He's in the business of always comparing himself to others so that he can say how much better he is than they. He's always watching for those things that's going to mark them as less. He's always looking for the things that he can say, that makes you inferior. He looks for the things that he can say, well, that makes you subservient to me. And thus, he's always looking down. And he's revered and he's exalted in someone's eyes, yes, his eyes only. On the other hand, the humble man. The humble man comes to God, and where is he looking? He's looking down. He's looking down at the ground. He can't even bring himself to face God. But it's the humble man who really looks up. He looks up to others and thinks, how much less? Not how much more. How much less am I than those other people? And he thinks, I'm not righteous. I'm unworthy. I need mercy. God, I need your mercy. Jesus said it's the humble man who went home justified. He didn't rely on himself. He didn't rely on the things that he had done. He relied on God. He sought God, and he asked God to be merciful to him. And that ends the parable. That ends the story. Jesus said, that's the one who went home justified. How does our justification come? Our justification comes by faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Romans and he talked about this. And at the end of chapter four, in the beginning of chapter five, Jesus says, or, or Paul says of Jesus that he was delivered 
over to death for our sins. And he was raised to life for what? He was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through what? Through faith, through belief in Jesus Christ, we have, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the end of chapter four, the beginning of chapter five of Romans. And if we were at one time like the tax collector, if we were at one time feeling guilty and shamed and unworthy of the love of God, if we were at one time having our head hanging down, we've discovered, we've discovered we were dependent on mercy. We had no claim on the, the justice of God to demand forgiveness of our sins. No. No, we had no claim to say, God, you must pardon us. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. We deserved to be punished for sin. But a, car, a, but a pardon came our way anyway. A pardon came our way by mercy. It's mercy that must be the sinner's hope. It's mercy that the tax collector sought from God. Jesus Christ offers us all mercy. He was delivered over to death for our sins, and he was raised to life. The resurrected Jesus, our pardon comes by his death and his resurrection. Our pardon, our justification to stand before Almighty God, righteous, only comes by Jesus. And when we receive that, when we receive that, no longer are we unworthy, no longer are we in the shadow of shame, because of the all-surpassing righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, who did such a great thing for us in giving of his life that we might be righteous before God. And then we are able to have, Paul said, peace with God. So the humble man, the humble one is justified by Christ and no longer has his head cast down. No, the humble man can look up now and he can look up to others. He can imitate those who told him, about Jesus. He can imitate those who model Christ, and he can see their good points, and he can compare himself and say, what can be improved in me, not what's bad about them? He sees them for the things in which they surpass him. He delights to witness the accomplishments of others. He lauds their accomplishments rather than his own. He doesn't stand before God and say, look what I've done, but rather look to other people. He doesn't look down on his fellow man. If he looks down, it's not to criticize. If he looks down, it's not to disparage. If he looks down, it's not to bully as the Pharisee would do. No, if, it's, if he looks down, it's that he can grab someone by the hand and he can lift them up and raise them up to be like him, justified before Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that's how the humble man lives now, looking up. And he fixes his eyes on his Lord and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And seeing that greater, seeing the greatest, his Lord and his Savior, he can compare his weaknesses and his shortcomings to the sinless perfection of Jesus Christ and then strive to be more Christ-like, looking up, eyes fixed on Jesus, saying, how can I be more like him, my Lord and Savior? It's the humble man that endeavors to be more like Christ. Now, which is more high-minded? Which is more noble? Which is more fit for a person to be? Which is more fit for a father? Which is more fit for a parent? 
to be proud or to be humble. Pride, self-promotion, conceit, egotism. This is the sin of the Garden of Eden. This is the sin of the fall of mankind. And this is the sin of the Pharisee. There was a real Pharisee stuck in sin and pride and arrogance, much like the one in Jesus' parable. His name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He thought so highly of himself. He thought so highly of his religious wisdom and all the things that he knew about the word of God. He thought so highly of himself that he became a terrorist in his time. He approved the murder of Christians. He rounded up people for arrest. He persecuted others and chased them so that they could be arrested and thrown in jail. By his own testimony, Paul, Paul uh, or Saul, who became Paul, he said, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. I was a violent aggressor. This is his own words. This is his own testimonies. He, he looked down on the Christians. He looked down on them as enemies of God, when in fact the self-righteous Pharisee was himself the enemy of God. But something happened. He met Jesus Christ. And again, by his own testimony, he said, I was ignorant and in unbelief. But what? I was shown mercy. These are the words of this Pharisee. I was ignorant in unbelief, but I was shown mercy. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, Paul wrote, of who I am the worst. That was his testimony. Those are his words. For that very reason, he said, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, in me, the worst, Jesus Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who believe in him and receive him. Paul went from proud to humble. You know, and this was a man who was never married. He never had children of his own. Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul the apostle, became a model father. He became a model father, and you say, how could that be? You just told me he was never married, and he never had children. That's right. But he became a model father. He went to people who were like he had been. He went to people who had been proud and arrogant, ignorant in their unbelief, and he preached Jesus Christ to them. And when one would accept Jesus Christ, when one would receive the mercy of Jesus Christ and say, yes, I see I'm a sinner and that I need this mercy. Paul would become to that person a spiritual father. Read his letters. Read his letter to the Corinthians. Paul says to the Corinthians, I became your father through the gospel. He wrote to the Galatians and he said, my dear children. He wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, I deal with each one of you as a father deals with his own children. Paul took on the role of father over all these he ministered Jesus Christ to. And when there was an individual, or, or there was an individual in particular that he really took on as a son. It was his helper. It was his fellow minister. It was a man that Paul had appointed to teach and to set elders in various churches. And his name was Timothy. And when you read the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, Paul refers to him as my son. 
He says, you're my true son in the gospel. You can read it more than once. He addresses the letter to my son, Timothy, and he repeats it throughout the letters, the first one and the second one. Paul was the consummate father to Timothy, like a father with his own natural children, like a dad we saw in this video this morning who helped his kids and taught them and encouraged them, and he invested time into them. This is what Paul did with Timothy. With Timothy, he encouraged him, and he was firm with him, but he was loving. He reminded Timothy, he said, Timothy, you've received some gifts. You've received some spiritual gifts through the laying on of hands. Don't neglect those gifts, Timothy. He kindly prompted him to not neglect these gifts while he was encouraging him to use them and reminding him that God had done a work in his life. He gave Timothy responsibility to teach and to establish elders and churches. And he reassured him, Timothy, you're up to the task. You can do it. He lifted him up. He built him up. He showed him true love and true care and true concern. And one example of uplifting encouragement, Paul wrote this to Timothy. It's 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. He said, don't let anyone look down on you because of your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, isn't that encouraging? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. I mean, that's what the proud man would do. That's what the arrogant guy would do. Oh, you can't do it. Oh, you're green around the uh, edges. Oh, wait till you get 30 years like me, then we'll talk. No, Paul saw gifts in Timothy. Paul, Paul saw what Timothy could do, and Paul encouraged him. He said, don't, don't let others look down on you. You might be young, Timothy, but you can do it. It's a vote of confidence from Paul to Timothy. It's a vote of confidence from a spiritual father to his spiritual son. And he urged him, he said, Timothy, now be an example be an example. Don't be an example of the proud man, Timothy. Be an example of the humble man. You have a place of, a of authority, but show your humility in your authority. Show your humility in speech and conduct, love, faith, and purity. Be the example. In essence, Paul referred to Timothy as any father would refer to a son. He said, be that humble man. Don't look down lift others up. And that's a request we can all receive today. Fathers, yes. Mothers, of course. Husbands, wives, young, old, empty nesters, never had kids, you know, students. You can take on someone and you can be a spiritual overseer. You can be a spiritual mentor. You can be a helper. You can be a guide. You can be an encourager. You can be an uplifter. You can be that spiritual parent to another. Look up to Jesus. Fix your eyes on your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ, and then grab a hold of somebody and take them up with you and mentor them and help them and carry them along. This is the example of Paul, the spiritual father, and we can only do it if we're the humble one. We can only do it when we're not thinking of ourselves as much as we're thinking of others. It might be that we were once very proud, but in coming to Jesus, we've adopted a different way, a humble way. But you know, pride's a trap. Pride is a trap that sets a snare and we can fall into it. We can be caught in it. Despite his turning to Christ, 
Paul the apostle struggled with this thing called pride. He wrestled with boasting. He testified that he was tormented by a messenger of Satan. And he said, let me tell you why. To keep me from exalting myself. To keep me from boasting. To keep me from being proud. Pride can be one of those sins that so easily beset us. We can be going along great and then suddenly, bam, we're talking down to somebody. We're better than somebody. We're lifting ourselves up. Pride can be a nagging sin. It can be a trap with chains that bind us. And every single human is susceptible to this temptation of pride. You know, Paul gave his testimony in Romans chapter 7. And he said, the good that I wish to do, I do not do. I do the very evil I don't want to do. And he went back and forth. He repeats it four or five times. I want to do good. I don't do it. I want to do the right thing. I don't do it. I keep doing evil. I want to do the good. He never mentions what sin that he's battling against, but pride is likely one of the culprits. Pride is something that gnawed at him. Pride's one that he talked about. He came from this background of being the proud and arrogant Pharisee. It's something that kept gnawing at him. And as he gave his testimony in Romans 7, going back and forth, I try to do the right thing, and I struggle and I still do the wrong thing. He concludes with this. This is Romans chapter 7, 24 and 25. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Deliverance. Deliverance from whatever chain has got you. Deliverance. To go from the proud one to the humble one. It comes by way of Jesus Christ. You know, to be this humble one, to be one that can be used as a spiritual parent, to be one who lifts one up and brings another. We can't be looking down. We can't be bound by pride. And I would that all in this room would be spiritual fathers and mothers. All of us would desire to be the humble one. Has pride got a hold of you? Have you been tempted by it? Have you been stuck by a snare? Have you been chained up by, by pride from time to time? Or something else nagging you? Is there another sin that's just one that you get so easily beset by? Is there a trap that you've fallen into? Paul the Apostle says it. I struggle with this. We all struggle from time to time. Sinless perfection is something none of us have attained. Who will deliver us? Who will deliver us? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. He'll deliver me from this. He can break a chain. He can set me free from a snare. He can help me to turn from the proud one to the humble one. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus to break any chain that binds us, to set us free from from these things that so easily beset us. We have to avail ourselves to him. We have to come to him. We got to be honest with him. We can't be like the Pharisee to say, oh God, look at me. I'm doing so well. 
No, be honest with God. When we're honest with God, when we're sincere before him, that's when God meets us. That's when God takes care of us. That's when we can be delivered from these things that so easily beset us. That's when we can deal with, I so badly want to do this, but I keep doing that. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, he can help us to do the things that we want to do, that we desire to do. And I want us to pray before we leave today. I want us to pray if, if you are dealing with pride, if you're dealing with thinking of yourself too much, don't think of yourself too much to sit in your seat. Come on down to these altars. God meets people here. We have people who pray with you and ask for the presence and the power of Almighty God to help you with whatever it is you might be dealing with. Listen to the words of this song. Jesus, 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 he can break every chain. And I just invite you to stand to your feet and sing along if you know it. And if you need prayer, if you're dealing with something that has beset you, come on down here. Come on down here and let's pray. Let's go before our deliverer. You know, Jesus said, pray this prayer. Every single day, deliver me from the evil one. You know what? It's a daily prayer to be delivered. Come on down for some deliverance this morning.